today I want to talk about something uh, that might not seem like a deep biblical theological topic, but I promise you that by the time we get to the end, you will see that actually uh, it is. And today I want to talk about winning. And the deep theological reason why is because winning is better than not winning, right? So, so for those of you, so those of you that are, are, uh, have been becoming familiar with the temperament types, several in our community, we've been doing that. Uh, I'm a yellow-red, which means that I love to have fun, but there is a right way to do it. Like, I love to have fun, uh, but the way to have fun is by winning, right? So that, that's, uh, so, uh, like, like this is a confession judge me. It's okay. I judge myself. Several years ago, I put together a team. It was my second Tough Mudder. Uh, Tough Mudder is like 12 miles, 25 obstacles, all this. It's just crazy. It involves electrical shock, 33 degree water. It's awesome. So I, I get these people together, and then uh, we get to our start time, and we go. And we're only like three miles in, and uh, our, our group, uh, we're kind of going through what they call the devil's beard. I mean, there's some really cool obstacles. So you're go- climbing under this net, and, and you're trying to crawl. And so a buddy of mine get on the other side, and we're holding the net tight so then our team can get out uh, faster. And they kind of run ahead. We'll catch on. We help some other people. They all had matching shirts. and like, well, they're cooler than we are. So we help them out. And so then my buddy and I like, okay, let's go. And so we're, we're, we're running. We come around the corner. And we see a wall up ahead of us, and there was like, and we could see heads, group of people gathered on the other side of the wall. So we get up there, and uh, you, have to, you have to go over this wall, and it's slick, and it's muddy, and everything. Well, one of the guys on our team was going over the wall, and when he did, he planted his hand, and he kicked over, and his hand slipped out. When he did, he hit his head on the concrete, it knocked him out, he fell down on his hand and broke his finger, and his finger was going to the side. You should totally do this with me. So... Uh, but, but, but here's the bad part. So we're there, and at first, like, I'm concerned there's blood and fingers and all that, and, and somebody's, like, trying to get EMTs, and, and so we're waiting. Now, now all we can do is wait. Well, it turns out the good news was the group that we helped was a group of surgeons, physicians, and nurses. <laughs> so they're, like, you know, all over him, got things taken care of. The one doc's like, hey, I, you know, is your finger hurting? Like, oh, what? Like, like, I can set it now. It'll hurt a lot less. And like, okay, and like, and snapped it back, and it was cool. And... Uh, so now we're waiting, his finger's set, the blood has stopped, and I'm thinking, this is totally messing with our time. <laughs> like, I know, that's horrible, right? So I didn't say that, I thought it, and, uh, but, and we stayed there with him until the EMTs, and then like, okay, fine, we can run now. So, uh, like, I'm, I'm bad, I, I get that, and that's why I need Jesus. So, uh, so that's me, and some of you, like, you're that, like, like to, to, to have fun means to win. Like, if you're going to play, if you can't win, there's no, no point in doing it. Uh, and again, I, I play for fun, which means, in my mind, the fun is to win, because winning is better than not winning. So, but regardless of where you land on the spectrum of, uh, you know, if I can't win, why try, to maybe you're on the other end where you just try to make, like, you're just the type of person, you make everything a game. Like, you're just, like, it's just fun to play, and maybe you're somewhere in the middle, uh, you fall somewhere in, in, uh, in between. Regardless, winning is better than not winning, especially in the arena, uh, arena that matters most. And of course, the arena that matters most is your life and winning at life. And uh, again, I want this. As a pastor of this community, I want this for every single one of you and for the people that make up this community, the city, to feel like and to actually win at life, in every facet. It's, 
which is why I've got an important question that I'm going to send you out with today, uh, a question that I hope that you'll wrestle with, and I can't force you to do it. I just hope you will do it. And for those of you that are willing to actually take it and actually apply it to your life with no exaggeration, it could be a life-changing question for you. And you'll see in just a minute, because if you don't answer this question for yourself, if, if you don't do this, instead of winning, you'll spend too much of your life doing, to borrow from King Solomon, chasing after the wind and not winning. It's a, the question that, it's a question that most people never ask. And if you don't answer it, at least in some key arenas of your life, then you're just going to feel like you're running this race, but you're just running. And, and, and you'll feel this constant pressure to finish, but the, the course doesn't seem to be that well laid out. And everybody else around you, it seems like they're running with purpose and they've got this sense of direction and you feel this pressure uh, to win. It's, it feels like sometimes everybody else knows the rules, but you, I don't know the rules. And so I want to introduce you uh, to this question and I want you to ask it of yourself. What's the win? What's the win for your life. I mean, it's, it, and it's difficult in any arena to know that you're winning if you haven't defined what winning looks like. And so here's what I mean. What for you is the win relationally? If you're in a relationship, what's the win for that relationship? If you're dating somebody or you're close to being engaged or you are engaged or maybe you're a newlywed or you've been married for a while, what's the win? I, I mean, you'd say, well, well, I'm in love. Well, that's okay. You just fell into that, right? So, but what's the win? Financially, all of us think about money. We think about money every day, and we're trying to make as much as we can and save as much as we can. And, uh, but what's the win? If you've been married like 1, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, what's the win for your marriage? If you have kids, if you have kids, what's, what's the win for your family? What's your win professionally? Because if you don't define the win for yourself professionally, you could find yourself in a situation where you've run and you've actually run past the finish line, but you don't realize it because you didn't define the win. And the people around you are like, why are you so driven? Why do you just keep going and going? I mean, why, why do you find it so difficult to, to, to just stop and to relax and enjoy the life around you? It's like, I, I can't. I got to keep running. And you can feel that to some extent because you've never taken the time to define the finish line, to define the win. In the areas of your life that matter most, and most people never define the win, the problem is, is that if you don't define the win for yourself, you'll just end up adopting somebody else's win. Or you'll just adopt what culture defines as the win for whatever arena of life it's in. It means you'll date like everybody else dates. You'll do your marriage or you'll do your career like everybody else does marriage or career. You'll spend your money like everybody else spends their money. You'll spend your time like everybody else spends their time. You'll parent either the way you were parented or in a reaction to the way that you were parented or just take your cues of parenting from everybody else around you. Uh, for, for many of us, if we don't set a win, we'll set for ourselves not goals. You know what a not goal is? It's like, well, I'm just not going to be like him. I'm not going to be like her. I'm not going to do it their way. I'm not going to parent like the way they parented me. I'm not going to handle money like. And you're, we're going to set not goals. And not goals are not enough because not goals are not wins. 
And you'll be inclined to blame and compare yourself through life, especially when you begin to feel like any arena of your life you're not winning, you'll begin to blame and compare. Typically, we will blame our parents, we'll blame our circumstances for why I'm not succeeding in a certain area, or we, what we do is we'll compare ourselves to the people around us to figure out whether or not we're winning or not, because we haven't taken the time to define the win for ourselves. And the problem is that uh, if you never decide what a win is uh, to begin with, you'll just find yourself lost. So let me ask you a more specific question because each one of you, you're very aware of everything that's going on in, in your life. What's the win for you in this season? What's the win for you? So maybe don't think the big picture, but what's the win for you in this season? Because in every season of life, there are different wins as it relates to who you are and the stage of life and, the, and your marital status and whether or not you have kids and all of this. Are, in other words, are you becoming the person you want to become? As you look to the future, what words do you want to describe and define you? When you, when you get to the end of your life and, and, and people stand up and, at your funeral, they're going to stand up and they're going to say words, they're going to talk about you. What words would you choose to come out of their mouths that could authentically represent how they perceived you and how you affected them? What do you want people to get, what words do you want them to describe you with? See, when you begin to answer those questions, you begin to get a glimpse of your finish line. And you, you might think, well, that's what a preacher would say. But let me just say something before I move on. Did you know that today, that people, when they think about you, words come to mind? When they think about you today, words are going to come to mind. Did you know that your brother or your sister or your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law, your mom or your dad, your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, when, when you come to mind... Words come to mind. You realize that. And, and you know this is true because when you think about the people in your life and people around you, when you think about them, words come to mind. When you're sitting with someone else and you're talking about other people in your life, you choose words to represent how you feel about them, and to describe them, their character, how they've affected your life. This means that there are people right now and in your future that are using or are going to use words to describe you, the kind of person you are, how you've affected them, which means that uh, for some of you, uh, your parents, your parents describe you when they're with their friends. Your kids are going to describe what their parents were like to school friends or maybe new college friends. Or maybe they're going to sit someday with somebody like me, or they're going to sit with a counselor, and they're going to use words to describe you. When you come to mind, what words do you want to come to mind? What, what do you want those words to be? Why not decide ahead of time to order your life and to order your conduct and your character in such a way that you define the win of how you want people to perceive you and to have it represent reality? If you're a newlywed or you've been in a marriage maybe two or three years, what's the win? I mean, is the win simply, we'll never get divorced? I mean, in our culture, that's, that's kind of a win, right? Like, we'll, we'll never get divorced. It's, we'll just, you know, someday, like, we just toughed it out. Like, I hate to hear the garage door open knowing that they're home, but hey, by God, we're never getting a divorce. That's not a win. 
I mean, nobody starts out and standing, uh, you know, on an altar before God and says, you know, I, I take you as my spouse forever, even though it's going to suck the life out of me, and then you're, we're going to stick with each other till death do us part. Like, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So, see, for Shauna and I, uh, we, we wouldn't have used the language of defining it as, as a win, uh, but, but we, we had this agreement. We had this kind of mutual thing between us, and, and our win was this, that we are never going to settle for staying married that we were never going to settle for staying married. So from the beginning, we were convinced that God had something far, far better in mind. And, and so we determined that more than just staying married, we were going to do whatever we needed to do to stay in love. So part of the win for our marriage it was when our, our kids ultimately left home, that we would still truly know each other and still truly be connected to one another. So for example, when our, our kids were growing up, our kids knew that for me, mom was number one priority, not them. And they also knew that for mom, I was number one priority, not them. That the world did not revolve around them. In fact, uh, when our boys were growing up, uh, you know, they just knew uh, we, there wasn't hardly anything we wouldn't do for them, but don't come between us because you get squished. When our boys were growing up, even in their teen years, they had a fairly early bedtime. They didn't have to go to sleep. Originally, they could play games at first, but they were boys and they were competitive like me and it never ended well. So they could read. They didn't have to go to sleep. But the deal was, is, you know, by like, eight, like 8.30, like you're in there because any, before any of you small humans was us. And some days you're going to be, someday you're going to be big humans and you're going to leave and it's just going to be us. So go to bed. So off they go. So, and what this did is it just made time. So every night we had time just, just us. Even if we just sat and connected and talked or just sat and just were together or we'd take date, have date nights uh, together. And because we knew someday they were going to leave and the, they come and it is glorious. <laughs> I am an empty nester. And why? Because early on we prioritized time with each other because we knew we would not settle for just staying married. And so we prioritized time with one another. For date nights and alone time to talk and connect because in the short and long term, we wanted to want to be together. And it was so important, so we made it a priority. But, you know, that was our win. But the point is, you, you got to come up with a win for your marriage or your relationships because marriage is so complicated and emotional and busy, right? So for those of you who are parents, what's your win for parenting? I'll tell you what it shouldn't be, and I'll just stick my nose in your business because I've got the mic, but the, the win for parents, uh, for many, unfortunately, is perfectly behaved, well-educated kids. And that's not enough. Like, there's nothing, like, wrong with those things because you're trying to raise, you know, educated, smart, and responsible adults, but you don't want to just be all about behavior, modification, and control. Dads of daughters. Or like me, I had four sons, so I had to imagine this, you know, but some of you don't have to imagine. Here's a question to help you begin to define your win. If my daughter were to grow up and marry a man just like me, would I be happy? If my daughter were to grow up and marry a man that treated her the same way I treat her mom, would I be happy? As a mom, if, if, if my son were to grow up and marry somebody just like me, would I be happy? Why or why not? And as you work through these questions, you begin to define your win. Now, here's the deal. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, you need to spend some time on identifying your win. 
It doesn't have to be perfect, and it's going to change with seasons of your life, but at least please give it some thought, because in the arenas of life that matter most, if you want to win, and I want that for you, you're going to have to figure it out. And winning is better than not winning. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to show you an example win statement from the New Testament by a man who, because of his words and his letters, has indirectly or direct, directly impacted every single one of us in this room, uh, which actually connects to his personal win for his life. He showed up in history as Saul of Tarsus. Then he becomes a Jesus follower. He started using his Roman name, so we know him as Paul or the Apostle Paul. And in 1 Corinthians, a letter to a church in Corinth that he planted, he wrote, writes this letter, and he gives us a statement, his win. And for some of you, maybe you can relate to it because this actually birthed out of personal failure for him. Because he steps into history as someone who had decided to single-handedly eradicate this sect or this cult that sort of revolved around this Nazarene uh, rabbi named Jesus. He decided, I'm going to put this out of business because it's disturbing the Jewish world and it's disturbing the world between the Jewish people and the Romans. I've got to put this thing out of business. So he started rounding up all of the Christians he could find. He's having them arrested. Uh, He had some of them tortured. He tried to get them to abandon this Nazarene sect that they had become come a part of and re-embrace or embrace first century Judaism. Uh, people were maimed. Some died under his leadership. He had a track record of being very violent, but he thought he was actually serving and helping God. He thought he was doing the right thing, but then he meets a resurrected Jesus. Uh-oh, like problem. So like I, I, I thought I was doing something for God. Now I realize I'm actually doing something against God. And now he feels so guilty and terrible. But for the rest of his life, I mean, imagine this. Some of you have never really thought about this when it comes to Paul. I mean, you've read his letters and you've read about him. But for the rest of his life, there would have been people that he would cross paths with and go, oh yeah, Saul of Tarsus. You had my brother arrested and he's not been able to walk since. Oh yeah, Saul, I, I know someone whose daughter-in-law you arrested and we haven't seen her since. So you have my son arrested and we can't find him. He would have to live with this for the rest of his life. And he would run into people whose families he had destroyed because of his zealousness to do something for God even though he was misinformed. So he steps into history as that person, but then he's transformed. He becomes a follower of Jesus, and then eventually he becomes a leader of the church, an apostle, but he writes, I am the least of the apostles. Talking about Peter and Matthew and John and and James, you know, the guys that followed Jesus, I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Like, why, Paul? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, I can't go back and undo what I've done. I come with horrible baggage. I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. In other words, God did not waste his time in coming and revealing himself to me. No, I worked harder than all of them. In other words, he's saying, you know, you think of Matthew and Peter, James, John, Bartholomew. I mean, they're all great guys, but I'm telling you, I am outworking all of them. And I feel like I need to because of what I did in the past. And as a result, the letters he wrote to the churches around the Mediterranean Rim, I mean, they shaped and continue to shape Western civilization. Paul's the one who introduced Jesus to the non-Jewish world in this letter to the Corinth. 
He explains what the win for his life is. And my point in sharing his win isn't that you necessarily say, I'm going to adopt that for my life. It wouldn't be a bad thing. But it's for what he says afterwards. Because what he says is it gives us, it gives us insight into what we have to do if we want to win in the arenas of life that matter the most. And so he says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why would you do that, Paul? To win as many as possible. So if you were to go to Paul and say, Paul, what's your win? He would say, my win is to win people. I want to convince Jewish people that Jesus is their Messiah, and I want to convince Gentile people that God has done something huge on this earth for them through the person of Jesus. So to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Now, if you're thinking, you go like, okay, Paul, you are a Jew. Like, what do you mean you became a Jew? He's like, look, here's what I mean. What I mean is when I'm with Jewish people, I, I'm better, I'm a better, I out-Jew all the Jewish people. Like, like when I'm with them, I'm going to be the best Jew possible. And I do that to win the Jews. I out-Jew all of them. Why? Because I want to influence them. I want them to recognize, wow, you're like a great Jewish person. I thought I was great, but man, you're, you're amazing. Why would you do that? Again, I want to influence them. I want to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, referring to the Jewish law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. And because some Gentiles had sort of adopted uh, first century Judaism, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. I'll come back to that. So as to win those not having the law. So in this top statement, here's what he's saying. When I'm with the Gentiles... I eat like the Gentiles, I drink like a Gentile, I dress like a Gentile, I walk like an Egyptian. What, he's like, I, what, whoever I'm with, I'm going to adapt to who I'm with, who, wherever I am, whomever I'm with, because I will become whatever I need to become. Why? Because I have a win that defines my life and the direction that I'm going. I want everyone in the world to know that God has done something into the world, that they would know Jesus. And then back to Paul's phrase, though I'm not free from God's law, talking about the Sinai code, but I'm under Christ's law. This is a very important distinction because Paul's referring to Jesus on the last, his final Passover with his closest followers, saying, I'm giving you a new command. You don't need ten, you need one. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. That was Christ's law. And Paul said, I am under that command. That's why I gave up violence as a means to an end and to further my cause. He says, that's, I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. And then he finishes up, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people. Why? So that by all possible means, meaning I have thought this through. I have ordered and organized and prioritized and focused my life in such a way so that by all possible means, I might save some. His win was to win people. And then what comes next is for you and for me, if, uh, whether you're a Christ follower or not, it, it, it's for all of us. Because the Apostle Paul knew what we knew intuitively. And that is, it is not enough to wish to want, and to desire. It is not enough to wish, to want, 
or desire. So he dips into a sports metaphor that uh, the people in his context, they could understand. We can understand it in our context. After saying, my win is to win people, I will do whatever it takes. It seems like he changes the subject. Because then he says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? It's like, okay, Yes, Paul, we get that. That's how a race works. Everybody lines up. Everybody runs. One person finishes first, and that person gets the prize. But here's his point that he's about to make. His point is, imagine if you lived this way. Imagine, imagine if you lived uh, this way. In an athletic competition, uh, the competition is obvious. Uh, in a race, they're lined up right beside you, so you know how you're doing in comparison to the people that are, are beside you in relationship to the competition. On a football field, they're lined up in front of you. You always know how you're doing against the competition. You know, there's somebody ahead of you, there's somebody behind you, and you know where you stand with the competition because you can see the competition. But when it comes to winning at life or winning at marriage or winning at dating or winning with your kids or winning with your finances or dating, whatever, it's... I mean, it's kind of hard to tell, right? I mean, it's just not that, that clear. It's not as obvious. And the challenge is because, because it's not obvious, it then causes us to lack urgency. Because it's not obvious, we lack urgency because there's no easy-to-see scoreboard. There's no fans cheering us on. There's no time clock showing us how much time we've got left. It's, it's hard to tell how we're doing, but even so, Paul tells us, run. Run in such a way as to get the prize. In other words, live, live your life with the same urgency and focus that you would bring to a race or a competition where there's a clock and there's fans and a scoreboard and you know who the competition is and you know where you stand against your competition. Live in such a way to win. In other words, pay the price. Pay the price that you must pay to be sure that you are prepared to win. Because in an athletic competition, there's always a price to pay. In, in, in every single arena of life that matters most to you and to me, there will be a price to pay. And Paul says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And he's talking about these games. They were kind of like a mini Olympics that happened right outside the city for over 700 years. And so these people knew exactly what he was talking about. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Why? Because they want to win. Because winning is better than not winning. And everybody who wants to win knows that there's sacrifice and that there has to be focus. Everybody who wants to win knows that you will have to say no to you, to some of the things in order to say yes to the things that will prepare you to win. Paul says they do it to get a crown that will not last. And some of you know this, but in the first century, if you won a, a foot race or a boxing competition or a chariot race, you got a crown. Do you know what it was made out of? Leaves. Laurel leaves. You know, some of you, you've heard the phrase, resting on your laurels. That's where this com comes from. It's the, it was a crown of leaves. And it was basically a phrase just meaning, you know, I'm kind of leveraging or I'm sitting on my past successes or achievements or accomplishments. And what would happen? Well, the, the crown would turn brown and in a couple days it would just kind of fall apart and go away. And Paul says, 
Think about the hard work that a runner puts in. Think about the investment that a boxer puts in. Think about all the money and the time that goes into horses and chariots and preparing for a, a race to, to, to win a laurel crown that's not even going to last for a few days. And then uh, he, he speaks specifically to Jesus' followers. He says, listen, think about what's at stake in the former, they do it to win something that doesn't last, but we do it to get a crown that lasts forever. We, in terms of competing and winning in life, we do it to win a crown that lasts forever. And, and what he says next is, is so powerful because of what's at stake. He says, though I, I can't necessarily see my competition, I can look into the future and get a glimpse of what's at stake. And what's at stake is huge. Because when it comes to us in, in, in this race, this running, this race of life, your future's at stake. My future's at stake. Your, your marriage is at stake. The future of the people that are closest to you are at stake. The future of my children and my health and my finances. So Paul says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. And it's so easy in our fast Pace, pace culture. I mean, who can believe like it's almost the end of August, right? So our fast-paced culture, it's just so easy to run aimlessly in our professional lives and relationships and finances. And if you haven't defined the wind, you can spend an entire season or two of your life or even the majority of your life running aimlessly. And Paul says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because I know what I want. I know what I'm about, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. He says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave. Paul, why would you do that? Paul says, because I know what I'm about. I've, I've identified, I define the win for my life. And I'm going to order my life, my time, and I'm going to discipline myself. And I'm going to make sure that at the end of the day, I get there, even though I have to say no to me, because getting to where I'm going is worth it. Because it comes down to what do I want now, and what do I want most? I'm going to say no to the thing that I want now because of what I want most. And, and, and all of, most, if not all of you, you already know what this is, what, what this is like, because you've done this. Many of you, you've already accomplished some important things in your life. Some of you, you've accomplished some extraordinary things in your life. You already know what it means to focus. You already know what it means to say no to you, to say yes to something bigger. But in the areas of life that matter most, have you defined the win? Because for Paul, this is what Paul feared, uh, feared for his win. He said, I have to do, do this so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So here's his bottom line, and then I'm going to talk about our bottom line in a second. But his bottom line was simply, I'm going to prepare and compete as if the competition were lined up beside me or they're right in front of me. I'm going to live my life with the same focus and energy and discipline as if I could see my competition because I don't want to get to the end of my life and be disqualified because that I wasn't prepared to go to the distance and win. And I'm not going to invite others into this. I'm not going to invite others into something that I myself am also not going to continue to do what is necessary to cross the finish line and be disqualified. Yesterday, I participated in what's called the, the gauntlet. 
It's about a five-mile obstacle course run. Uh, it involves uh, mud and running and climbing and walls and a lot of suffering. And it's just a great thing to do. Uh, so here's the deal. I am 50 years old. So I think that makes me officially in the old guy category. Like, like it's definitely, if you ask me when I was 20, like 50, that's like one foot in the grave. So I, like, I, like I might be an early old guy, but I'm an old guy. I got smoke in my hair. And you might ask the question, why would you do that? <laughs> why would you feel comfortable doing that? Well, because I knew I could cross the finish line. Because uh, I did more than just wish, want, and desire. It's because I, I've embraced a lifestyle of uh, a certain level of diet and exercise that would enable me to not only cross the finish line to get my laurel medal, It, was, it wasn't just that I knew that I could cross the line and could actually help others to do it. Or it was because that I knew that I've adopted a lifestyle of preparation that prepared me to do that. And that I could run this race and not be disqualified and, and, and cross the line. And, and, and Paul would say to us, you know, if you don't know uh, what you're going after, if you don't know what the win is, you're, you're, you're just not going to get there. When you don't win by wishing. You don't win by hoping. You don't even win by praying. You win by preparing to win. You win by saying no to you, but you'll never say no to you with the urgency that you need to if you haven't defined the win for your life. So what's the win? What's the win for you? Relationally? Financially? Academically? Professionally? What's the win? Are you preparing to win? Or you either are single or you're single again. If the win for you is a fulfilling marriage or to have a marriage that's unlike most marriages, then you can't date like most people date. Tinder and the pump house on a Friday and Saturday night are not your friend. Some of you, uh, you need to get out of the dating game for a year so that you can get your mind, your heart, and your conscience clear. So you can decide when I step back into this, I've got some clarity of what's the win for me, because I've got something bigger in mind. It's going to be more than just a date or an experience. You decide, I'm not going to date aimlessly anymore. I'm not just going to be going through life swinging my hands or my hips. I'm going to have purpose. I'm going to have a goal, because I've got grander plans for my life and my future, and I just don't want my dating history to just keep repeating itself. Parents, let me tell you, I'm on the other side of where some of you are. You're going to have to say no to some things to achieve your parenting wins, your parenting goals, once you decide what it is, once you decide what the win is. And I want to encourage you with this. For some of you, here's just what you need to say. No for now, but not forever. No for now, but not forever. There are going to be some things that we'll do later that we're not going to do now because of what you think the win should be in your family. Uh, when our kids were growing up, we made the choice that one of us was going to stay home. It happened to be Shauna, uh, which meant that our family of six lived on one not-for-profit associate pastor's income. And, uh, but the interesting thing was, is both my wife, we love, we love to travel together, and we love to go on grand adventures together. There, and there were just a lot of things that we said no to for most of our marriage because of the wins that we had for us as a family and financially. 
So we got creative. We did not go to Disneyland. Uh, we camped sometimes in our backyard. Uh, we made amazing memories. We had little staycations. We lived on a shoestring budget. Uh, and uh, then we were, had our approach to finances blessed by intersecting with Dave Ramsey, which redefined some of our financial wins. And now, again, as a result, we're in the glorious stage of being empty nesters. Do you think I like it? I do. And a few years ago, uh, a few years ago, after saying no to us for so many years, well, and and just adopting this lifestyle of financial margin, uh, I was able to commit to my girl that for as long as God provides, that every year uh, for the rest of our lives until one of us is dead, I'm going to take her on a big adventure. And since that time, we've been able to cross the Pacific, cross the Atlantic, go to both coasts, and we've been able to have all this awesome fun. And because we were willing to say no for now, but not forever. And again, it's just a blessing. And here's the thing, you, just, you will find it so much easier to say no to you when you know what the win is. And until you know what the win is, you'll find no compelling reason to say no to you. Now, I'm, I'm almost done. At the risk of just being a little overdramatic, let, let me just get something out on the table that really you kind of know but you don't think about. You only get one season. You only get one season to be in your teens. You only get one season to be in your 20s. You don't get to come back next spring and go back into your 20s again. I mean, it's just, it's just you only get one season to be in your 30s, your 40s. You only get one first marriage. You only get to raise each of those children one time. And the clock is running. And only you can decide. You have to decide what your life is going to look like and what you want your win to be. Because if you don't decide, if you don't decide, life and culture and the people around you, they're going to decide for you. And you probably won't like where it ends up. And remember this, when you win in the area, arenas of life that matter the most, the people around you, the people that you love the most, they win too. You know that, right? They win too. So I, I want to invite the band up. Uh, if, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Jesus follower, I, I hope that this was at least helpful or inspiring. That, and you can go home and you can play too and you can find some wins for your life. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower like me, you, you, you're someone you'd say that there was a time in my life where I said, just, I made the decision, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I don't do it perfectly, but I'm, I'm working to follow Jesus. Then I want you to, uh, to make sure that you, you understand this isn't optional. This isn't optional for us because we, we have something common with the Apostle Paul when he says that we are to go into strict training and do it for a crown that will not last. Jesus was correct. He says there's more to this life than his life. And I believe that he was correct. That there's more than just a life that's bookended by a birth certificate and a death certificate. Paul absolutely lived his life as if there was something beyond this life. Jesus lived his life as if there was something beyond this life. Both of them had great clarity and they would call us to define what is it? What is it God would call us to to have as the win in our life right now? That we would do whatever it takes. Take some things off of our plate, out of our schedules, begin making more progress.
private or quiet time to, to, to just spend time with God or spend time with the people he's put in our lives and to evaluate what we have prioritized and what we're saying no to and what we're saying yes to. And begin to figure out what does it take to win. I've asked the worship team to, to reprise the song that we sang this morning of reckless love because it's just an example that, that God was so fixated on us it didn't matter what it took or what it takes. He comes after us. And so he's, he's just given this great example for us to follow. So let's stand and sing this song. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your relentless, reckless love. It just seems so reckless because of your willingness to make this incredible sacrifice that we can't get our minds around. I pray for all of us here in the room, those who are listening to us. And God, that you, you truly would for each other, one of us help to, clear, to, to get really clear. Get laser focused on the thing that maybe has been nagging us or bothering us, Father, that it, it's time for us to prioritize. We would walk out of here today with this clarity and this determination and that your spirit and the of people that you put around us would, would just help reinforce that to make, to make that happen. I thank you for this community of people that have really made it a priority in their life to impact people that are already here today and those that we have yet to reach and connect with in this community. Father, I pray that you would help us, that you would just do far more than we could ask or imagine. All of this, in the name of Jesus, I pray.